You're listening to the Cornerstone Word of Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from Pastor Rhonda. For more information on our church, please visit cwol.org. How many of you know everybody that you come into contact with in your life, you affect for one way or another? And so let's go to Proverbs chapter 13. We're going to read at verse 22, Proverbs 13, 22. We're going to look at it first in the NIV, uh, in the King James. Let's look at it, King James. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Whoo, there's a lot in there. I am so, I would be so thrilled if you were blessed enough that you could leave a financial inheritance to your grandchildren. Now, I know that, you know, uh, it's, it's not, um, what's the word? PC, politically correct right now. To, to, and it never really was. It's never been correct in the kingdom of God to be greedy and selfish. How many of you know that's true? But how many of you know in the middle of that, God wants you blessed because you can't be a blessing if you're not blessed. You can't bless somebody else if you're not blessed. Are you with me? you got to have enough to meet your own needs so you can live, but then there's also lots of other things and lots of other people we can bless. So if you were blessed enough to leave an inheritance, a financial inheritance to your children's children, I think that'd be awesome. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just glory to God. We could, we could, we could do some stuff there, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. I believe one way in which we can leave an inheritance is financially, but I don't believe that's all that verse is talking about. Let's look at it in the Amplified Classic. A good man leaveth an inheritance of moral stability and goodness to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner finds its way eventually into the hands of the righteous for whom it was laid up. Glory to God. The Lord's been storing stuff away for you. Just like, you know, how squirrels hide their nuts for a rainy day. Well, the Lord's got some nuts hidden for you. Glory to God. He's got some stuff hidden for you. Uh, He's laid it away for you, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. When you realize you are leaving a legacy, an inheritance to your children's children and the generations yet to come, whether you realize it or not, you are. Everything we do, every decision we make affects not only us, but the generations that are coming after us. You know, I have a really tender heart and uh, they used to really bother me. I said, Lord, when I looked around the world, and I've traveled quite a bit around the world, and uh, I said, Lord, how is it fair that we're born in the United States of America where we can hear the gospel anytime we want to hear it? It's on the television. It, it's, it's everywhere you look. It, it's on your, you know, everywhere you look on your phone these days. I don't even know what y'all do, Twitter, whatever. Snapchat, whatever y'all into these days. I mean, the gospels, anybody who wants to hear the gospel can hear it in the United States of America. But how is it fair, Father, that there are people who've never heard or rarely heard? How is it fair that in India there are whole villages 
who have no electricity, who have no availability to the outside world. And I don't know if they've ever heard the gospel in their lifetime, or if they have, it hasn't been very often. How is that fair? How is that right? And it used to really bother my mind because I'm so tenderhearted. And, you know, I don't know. I just, anyway, it bothered me. So the Lord said to me one day, he said, Rhonda, everybody has two sets of ancestors in common. How many of you know that's true? All of us are descended from Adam and Eve. Listen, when they started all this DNA stuff recently, you know what they came to the conclusion of? We all came from the same mama. We all descended from one woman. Well, duh, we could have told them that, right? It's in the book. We can even tell you her name, Eve. All right? It's true. Science caught up. We're all descended from Adam and Eve. We all are. But we're also all descended from, from uh, Noah and Mrs. Noah. Because we don't know her name. How many of you know in the flood, everybody was wiped out? Except for Noah and Mrs. Noah and their kids and their kids' wives. So what does that mean? All of us share two sets of ancestors. Adam and Eve and Noah and Mrs. Noah, right? So what does that mean? That means that somewhere back hundreds and thousands of generations of those people who are in those dark places today, somebody knew the truth. But somebody decided not to walk in the truth they knew. Somebody decided not to serve the living God and turned and walked away. And with every one of their generations that came after them, that knowledge of God got dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until now they're in such darkness in that line that they have totally forgotten that God is. Do you see how their decisions affected all of those who came after them? Listen, I'm sure when they made that decision, they weren't thinking about all of their descendants someday walking in darkness because of the choices they made, but it happened nonetheless. So what am I telling you? I'm telling you the decisions you're making today and every day will affect not only you, but the generations yet to come and your descendants way down the line. I personally saw this in some people I knew when I was in middle school. In the space of two generations, I watched a family unravel. I had some friends in middle school who were pretty good sinners. You know what I mean by that? I mean, they practiced and they were good. As teenagers in middle school, they drank a lot, they did a lot of drugs. They were having sex outside of marriage, having babies in their teenage years. And one of them was even in a mental institution for a little while. I mean, these, they practiced. Do you understand what I'm saying? But when their grandparents came, they told me, oh, our religious grandparents are coming. And when I met them, I realized they were God-fearing, church-going people. And I thought, how is it that in, 
something happened. Something had to have happened to, to the people I knew, to their mother, who was the daughter of these religious grandparents. Are you with me with the family line thing? I know I'm going back up, but um, something happened. She was raised in church. I was shocked that she was raised in church. I was shocked because she didn't raise her kids in church. She raised her kids with no godly influence in the home at all. And in the space of those two generations, I watched them go from a God-fearing church-going family to, to a family in ruins and, and, and lots of heartache and struggle and, 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 and tragedy. How did that happen? Because for whatever reason, she made a choice. Do you understand? And I'm not minimizing what might have gone into that choice. How many of you know and not everybody who goes to church lives for God? I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if, if something terrible happened to her, if some godly person did something awful to her. But I'm telling you, it doesn't matter what people do. You can't get mad at God, and you can't walk away from God because of what some jerky person did. There's a heritage in God that you want your family to have. Don't walk away from God. How many, how many of you know in our society right now, I'm not sure it's cool to serve God. And I'm not sure cool is the right word. But you know what I mean. It's not in fashion right now to go to church and, and serve God and, and not participate in all the world's stuff. But whether it's popular or whether it's not popular, I know the truth, and you know the truth. And we have to pass that knowledge of the truth, not only down to uh, those to our children and our children's children, but also those all the way around us. I watched that family unravel in the space of two generations. And I'm not saying something terrible didn't happen to her. I never knew what happened. I just saw the outcome of her decision. But I've seen it the other way. I've seen it the other way. Where God redeemed someone in a family like that. Gave them a godly husband and a godly home. Because they chose to serve God regardless of what their parents were doing. I've watched God take a line where there was such destruction and heartache and sorrow and sadness and turn it in to a family that's blessed by the power and the spirit of God, who's happy in their marriage, whose kids are blessed, whose life is blessed. I've watched it that way. But what you do and how you live, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everyone who's coming after you. You know, um, a few years back, my daddy was telling us about an ancestor from years and years and years ago, hundred, maybe hundreds of years ago. I don't know how far back, but, uh, you know, he, he would spend hours praying for, for his family line and for the generations yet to come. Well, listen, who knows? Maybe he prayed me in. 
Maybe he prayed me through my childhood. Maybe he prayed me through my parents' divorce. I don't know, but whatever happened, glory to God, he set that example and he prayed and he made that power available for any of us in the family that would take it. Because of the way I grew up, or if we'd have lined up all of our cousins and, and relatives, that my family would have been the least likely to succeed because of stuff, life. But you know what? Every one of us is serving God. How did that happen? My mama saw to it right in the middle of her heartache. My mama, you know, had her good periods and her bad periods and just like everybody. But let me tell you, church was not optional in my home. After my parents' divorce, you know, I, I uh, anyway, I was having a hard time. Let's just say it that way. I was having a hard time and I wasn't doing right. I'm sure, you know, whew. anyway, I wouldn't want to have to deal with me. When I'm not doing good, how's that for the truth? Way more truth than you needed. Um, but I was a young teenager, and I, and, I, and I announced one, I think, I don't know if it's a Sunday night or Wednesday night, but I announced to my mother I wasn't going to church. Well, my mom argued for a minute, and then she went and got her big leather threat belt. My mama had a big, wide man's leather belt. It was this wide. I'm not exaggerating. And when we were being particularly bad as kids, you know, she's got four kids and on her own now. She'd wear it on the outside of her clothes as a visual reminder of who was in charge. My mama got that belt, and she said, get in the car. And I said, no. Well, she started swinging and I started running. <laughs> she chased me to the car with that big leather belt. Because God and church were not optional in this family. It didn't matter what we were going through. It didn't matter what was going on. My mama made sure we were in church every time the doors were open. Every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. And you know what? There were times probably when all of us went kicking and screaming. But when we got there, God met us. God met us there. I thank God for that. Only God knows where I'd be if my mama hadn't made sure that we kept that connection to God. Listen, whatever you're going through, don't cut yourself off from God. Don't cut yourself off from God's house. Don't cut yourself off from God's people. Don't cut yourself off from God's word. Dennis Rainey said, who teaches quite a bit on family, he said this, your most important job as a parent is to pass on a living faith to your children. Not religion. Not dead dry, we're going to tip our hat to God on Sunday and live like the devil Monday to Saturday. But to pass on a living, vibrant faith in God. 
That living faith is something that cannot just be taught. It's more caught than taught. It's more caught than taught. Is your faith and your relationship with God vibrant and alive and on display for all, including your children and grandchildren to see? How many of you know whether you realize it or not, people can see him in you? When you're living in vital fellowship with him, his presence permeates your life. It permeates everything that you do. And people recognize it. They may know not, they may know not, they may not know what it is that's different about you. But there's something you know, we were in a third world country where there wasn't a lot of the presence of God. And, and the workers at a restaurant that we frequented, on the last day, they're like, what is it about you people? There's something different about you. And we said, well, you know, we're, we're from a different country. And they're like, that is not it. I have met plenty of people from your country, and that is not it. What is it that's different about you? How many of you know he's visible on you? He should be. You don't have to walk around with your 50-pound family Bible. You don't have to put bumper stickers on your car and wear T-shirts. No, they ought to sense him in you. When you walk in a room, bring him with you. Peace will enter the room. Do you strive to live what you preach and say you believe? How many of you know we live every day what we truly believe? And the rest of it is just fluff. You can give lip service to a whole bunch of stuff that you don't live. But that doesn't mean you really believe it. When adversity comes and you get squeezed, what comes out of you? Because what you're full of comes out. How many of you know what you're full of comes out when you get squeezed? Listen, we don't even know if you have faith until you get squeezed. It's not till the trial comes that we see whether you can draw your sword of the spirit and fight it off. If everything's going well, we don't know if you got faith or not. Well, Pastor Rhonda, I'm blessed maybe, or maybe you stole all that stuff. How do I know? Maybe your daddy left it to you. It's not till you get squeezed until trial and adversity and trouble comes and you draw your sword of faith and you stand on the word of God and you say no. That's when we know you have faith. Can people sense his presence, your children, can they sense his presence in you? Can they feel his presence when you pray? Do they even hear you pray? Can they feel his presence when you worship? 
Do they see the reality of him and his presence in your everyday life? Listen, nobody's perfect. I'm not telling you to be perfect. No, your children need an example of what happens when imperfect flesh lives in a vital relationship with a perfect God. When you mess up, repent and let them see it. Show them how to course correct. That's what repentance is. I am so grateful for repentance. Repentance is not a bad word. You know, there was a teaching that went around a few years ago that once you're born again, you never have to repent of anything ever again. That's like that stupid song that I think was in the 60s or 70s. Love means never having to say you're sorry. How many of you know that's stupid? If you really love somebody, you're probably going to have to apologize when stuff goes wrong to keep that love relationship alive. It's the same with God. Repentance gives us the opportunity to course correct. If you are so stubborn and self-willed that you're going to persist in a wrong way just so you don't look... uh, human in front of your children or you you know they don't see uh that i've made a mistake oh come on show them what to do when they mess up honey i'm sorry mama shouldn't have yelled at you that way father please forgive me i'm sorry what am i doing i'm setting that example of what to do when you mess up. You repent to God and you apologize to anybody that you heard along the way. I'm teaching my children, my daughter, how to course correct when I do it in front of her. Listen, face reality. After they get like six, they don't think you're perfect anyway. I'm sorry to be the one to break it to you. Is he a priority in your life? Is he the Lord of your life? Do they see you turning decisions to him and seeking his will when it's time to make a decision? All of the things you're doing, all the decisions you're making, uh, how you make them influences not only you and the course of your life, but it affects the course of everyone coming after you. We had a family come to the church. This is absolute truth, what I'm about to say. We had a family come to the church years ago, years ago. I don't think there's probably more than one person in this room who knows them. But anyway, well, okay, take that back. Handful. Take that back, handful. But anyway, they came to the church. They'd never been in a church like this. How many of you know, sometimes people come and they've never been in a church like this. But they started to get a hold of the word, and they started to thrive. 
And probably for the first time that the husband was really seeking after God. And the kids were in children's church and learning the word. And each one of those members of that family was individually flourishing and doing well and prospering. And they were blessed as a family. Their marriage was the strongest it had ever been. And God was blessing them. In fact, um, we had a guest minister in who, who called up this lady one time and, and said, I just want to bless you. And he, you know, he laid hands on her and just blessed her or whatever. Uh, and uh, it wasn't maybe less than a week later, she was involved in a shooting here locally. And uh, she happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and uh, you know, she um, was running to get out of the way. She tripped and fell and she was laying on the ground. And her hair wasn't this long. She had really, really short hair. And she said she felt a bullet graze through her hair. God supernaturally spared her life. But the thing is, they were a very upwardly mobile family. Not that there's anything wrong with being upwardly mobile as long as it's not before God. But they were a very upwardly mobile, uh, you know, uh, upwardly mobile conscious family. And so they got a, an offer for buku bucks if they moved out of state. Well, to them, it was no question. Not even a, they didn't have to think about it. Because they were, they were so upwardly mobile, they, they said, yeah, we'll take it. Pastor and I knew it was wrong, but they never asked. I said as much as I thought I could say without them asking. But their friends told them, you know, I don't think that's right. They're good godly friends. And they're like, I, I'm taking the job. It's a huge promotion. Huge promotion. Lots more money. So they took the job and they moved. And it wasn't two years until it all began to unravel. Their marriage got in trouble. They lost the job and the finances tanked. Their kids started to rebel. One spouse died way, way too early. The other one to this day is not serving God. Their children are not serving God. Breaks my heart. Breaks my heart. What am I saying? What are you saying, Pastor Rhonda? Are you threatening us if we leave the church? Our world's going to fall apart. Oh, please. If you think that's what I'm saying, then you're just looking for something to criticize. Knock it off. What I'm saying is run every decision through God. If God says take that job, you take that job and you go and be blessed knowing there's a church and a pastor on the other end who's going to be able to look out for you and watch out for you. But don't just be led around by money because money is in this world and the God of this world knows which strings to pull. What are your priorities in life? How many of you know you're communicating that to your children every single day? Your grandchildren. Whether you know it or not, priorities are being instilled. At least until they're 
let me just say it this way. You are the greatest influence in your children's lives. Up until the time they're maybe six, seven, eight, ten, you're their superhero. I mean, with a single glance or a single, just your presence in the room dispels the monster under the bed. When they're skinned their knee, you can take them in your arms and, and kiss on them and pray for them and love them, and it just makes it all better. Don't you wish you were the superhero your kids thought you were when, you were, when they were small? But you're the greatest influence in their life, whether that's for good or for bad, you are. What you do every day is going to affect what they do because you're teaching them whether you realize it or not. Pastor Rhonda, I don't believe that. You know, when I was putting the sermon together, I thought, you know how many times I read that in the Bible? So-and-so followed after the ways of their father. So I looked up some of those examples. Let's go to 1 Kings, and I've got to hurry. 1 Kings 15, 25. Nadab, son of Jeroboam, became king of Israel in the second year of Asa, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, walking in the ways of his father and his sin, which his father had caused Israel to commit. How many of you know he walked in the ways of his father? Why? Because that's how his father taught him to walk. No, he didn't mean to. But you can't go to your kids and say, don't do what I do, do what I say. How many of you know that don't work? Sending your kids to VBS one week in the summer is not enough to sustain them. Even sending them here so we can teach them instead of you doesn't work because what you put into them all week long is way more than what we've got in that little bit of time we can put into them. You are the greatest influence in the lives of your children and your grandchildren. Pastor Rhonda, no, listen. Let's read on the very next verse. Basha, son of Ahijah of the house of Issachar, plotted against him, 1 Kings 15, 27, and he struck him down at Gibbethon, a Philistine town, while Nadab and all Israel were beseeching it. Basha killed Nadab in the third year of Asa, king of Judah, and succeeded him as king. How many of you know he did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and because of that, he didn't have the protection he should have walked in, and it ended up costing him his life. He reigned two years. First Kings twenty two fifty one. And Ahaziah, Ahaziah, sure. Ahaziah, son of Ahab, became king of Israel in Samaria in the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned over Israel how many years? Two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord because he walked in the ways of his father and his mother. Lord help us. And in the ways of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who caused Israel to sin. 
He served and worshiped Baal and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger, just as his father had done. Very next verse is 2 Kings 1.1. 1, 1. And after Ahab's death, Moab rebelled against Israel. Now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room. We were just talking about Ahaziah who followed in the ways of his mom and dad. Uh, Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and he injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, go and consult Baal, Zebub, the god of Ekron, to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elisha the Tishbite, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there's no god in Israel that you're going off to consult Baal, Zebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says. You will not leave the bed you're lying on. You will certainly die. So Elijah went. Go down to verse 17. So he died according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. 2 Kings 21, 19. Amon was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem two years. His mother's name was Meshulameth, daughter of Haruz, and she was from Jotba. And he did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. But I want you to notice how often it references the example of the parents set before them. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. He walked in all the ways of his father. He worshiped the idols his father had worshiped and bowed down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and he did not walk in the way of the Lord. Very next verse, Ammon's officials conspired against him and assassinated the king in his palace. Second Chronicles 17.3, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father, the ways his father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals, but he sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The very next verse, and the Lord established the kingdom under his control. And all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. You know, you can set your kids up for great success or you can hinder them where they're going to struggle. Again, nobody's perfect and nobody's asking you to be perfect. But what we are asking you to do is to live the truth before them to the best of your ability. And when you mess up, show them how to course correct. Repent. Show them how to do it. The example you're setting for your children is everything. We ought to be setting them up for success. You don't have to be perfect. That's not what I'm saying. But be sincere. Be for real. Be for real. What is most important? A vital living relationship with God lived out before them. Not being perfect, but being in relationship with a perfect God who can forgive sins and put people back on the right track again. Helping your children and grandchildren establish their own relationship with God is priceless. You know, we celebrated my daddy's birthday uh, in, in uh, I don't know, three or four years ago. He turned When he turned 90, all my siblings came. And we did this big shebang. Uh, and we all, you know, took turns doing stuff. And, but one thing I said to my daddy during that time is, Daddy, I'm so grateful. 
I'm so grateful that you brought me to Jesus. Daddy, you told me that if I would believe in my heart and say out of my mouth that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for my sins, and that I believe and I ask him to be my Savior. I ask him to be the Lord of my life. You taught me that, Daddy. And the day came when I knelt at the foot of the cross. And the blood that washed you is, uh, all through your life has washed me. And I'm so grateful that you gave me Jesus. Money comes and money goes. But God and real relationship with him lasts forever. A hundred years from now, nobody's going to remember what car you drove. They're not going to remember how big your house was. But the things that you do for God and with God and with your family with God, they last forever. The thing that I count. One of the most precious things that I've ever accomplished in my life is the day I knelt with my own daughter because I'd been talking to her about Jesus. I have to be honest, we, we got in the car when we were in the car and she was in her car seat and something was said and she started asking me questions. She was young, three, four, started asking me questions in her own way about God. So I told her, you know, as much as I thought she could understand and I said, you want to ask him in your heart? She said, no. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't go, oh, to her, but I did on the inside. But I said, Lord, get her. Wasn't a couple months later, the conversation came back around again, and I explained again. And I said, honey, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? And she said, I do. We knelt together at the foot of the cross while she asked Jesus into her heart. You know what? I gave her eternal life. I may not be able to give her all the wealth of the world. I may not be able to give her prestige and status and sports cars and European vacations. But I gave her something worth far more. Eternal life. There's nothing more important that you can give your children and your grandchildren than a living faith in Jesus Christ. Everything else is temporal. Everything else will fade. Money comes. Money goes. Model before them a life lived in vital relationship with God. Listen, if you haven't been doing that so far, you know what? You pray for a crop failure on the seeds you've sown. Father, I'm asking for a crop failure. All the bad things. How many of you know kids pick up on stuff you wish they never would have? She got traits. You know, I say there's not very much of me in there, but sometimes I see more of me in there than I I'm comfortable with. Let's just say it that way. But you know what? 
you can ask for a crop failure and start planting good seeds today. As long as there's breath within you, as long as there's breath within them, you can change, you can turn, you can do it better, you can be a better influence. It's not done until it's done. If you haven't been doing that, you too can course correct and you need to start today. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. Even if you're the first person in your family to receive Jesus and to walk in his ways, you've got a whole new branch off that tree now. There's a blessed branch in whatever tree of fruits, nuts, and flakes that you grew up in. Now there's a godly branch that's blessed. You can be that for your family. Listen, it's critical in this day that living faith, it's critical they see it in you. And it's, you need to be intentional, intentional about doing these things in your home. Every night when I'd put my daughter to bed, from the time she was born, almost, I would sing to her and we'd worship together. And I would pray over her. And I'd quote Psalms 91 over her. Until by the time she was three, she had it memorized. Because I prayed it every single night over her. And I would worship until he came in the room because I wanted her to recognize his presence. I wanted her to experience him and know him when he came to her. Do you understand? You have to be intentional. The world is putting so much into your children. They're putting so much into your grandchildren. But you can be that clarion voice of connection to a living God for them. And he needs you to be. Because the storms of life come. Life happens. And they need that anchor for their souls. They need to know where to go when life gets hard. They need to know where to go when sickness attaches itself to their body. You can teach them. And you need to teach them mostly by living it in front of them. Talk is cheap. Example is forever. We hope you're inspired by today's message. If you want to hear more from the Word of God, head over to cwol.org. Check us out on YouTube or any social platform under at Seawall Madison. We believe God is working within you, and we want you to know Him so you too can make Him